Good morning and welcome to The Business Of. Today's topic is the business of animal care. My guest is Tori Chisholm, the Executive Director of Friends of Pima Animal Care Center, better known as PAC, or Friends of PAC. Correct. We'll learn more about that later. But before we get started, I'd like to thank a, a few of our Executive Circle Catalyst members, such as Flores Concepts, Gibson's Office Solutions, and HDS Companies. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Good morning, Tori. Good morning. How's it going? It's great. I was hoping you were going to bring some puppies or kittens. Well, yeah, sometimes it's hard to get them out of the shelter, though. We're trying to get them adopted. They would never go back if you would have brought them here, though. Let well, if you'd have told you. me that ahead of time. <laughs> so go ahead and tell us about Pima Animal Care Center. I think many people in this community are familiar with PAC. It's uh, the county-based animal shelter. Mm -hmm. It's uh, based, located on Silver Bell, uh, amazing new facility. It was actually renovated uh, uh, from a referendum, uh, oh. one of the few referendums, if the only one, the past in like maybe the last 10, 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but the facility is amazing. Um, and what it's really done is elevated the level of animal care for mm -hmm. our community. Um, give you an example. Last year, we dealt with about 19,000 animals coming in, uh, most of them going out, and that's what I like. We uh, have a uh, live release rate around 92%. That's pretty good. Which is actually the highest of any large volume public shelter in the country. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, it takes well, Why a, do you think that is? What makes you stand out? Well, I, obviously the incredible work that happens at PAC, but it's also a community. Mm -hmm. um, it really, at the end of the day, animal welfare is a community-based concern. And uh, we live in a, a community that's very passionate about our animal companions, and that, that shows in the way they treat them and the way they support PAC and the, the way they support other rescues in the area as well. That's so true. I mean, even you know, at home where there's the uh, Nextdoor app, so mm -hmm. often people are saying, hey, I found this dog, I found these kittens. Uh, and people are always like, are they chipped? Take them to pack. You know, but it really is true about the community aspect of it. People genuinely care. Yeah. Well, we actually strive. We uh, At PAC, they use a model. It's called HOSS. It's Human Animal Support Services. And really, it's also a model that's based on the idea of being a shelter without walls. Mm. So while you do have the physical confines, the, at the end of the day, being in a shelter is the last place we want an animal to be. We want all animals to be in homes with people who love them. Of course, of course. Now, clarify for me. So you're the executive director of Friends of PAC. Mm -hmm. How is Friends of PAC related to PAC? So we are the official nonprofit partner for PAC. Oh, okay. So PAC is a county agency. What happened is when they, they uh, did the renovation for the project, they realized that just having a new building wasn't going to be enough to do the level of, of life-saving that people wanted for animals in our right. community. So they realized uh, it, was, it was the county in conjunction with a, a, gr a group of dedicated volunteers created Friends of PAC so that what we do is we raise money to do the things that are really above and beyond. Uh, the county does a great job of providing a base level of care for all the animals that it, it deals with. We provide everything that's really above and beyond that really specialized medical care, um, and uh, different things like that. And where we've really moved into is a space where you call kind of like surrender prevention or diversion. We figured the best way to help animals is to help them never come to the shelter. So we right. do our more now to help families who are in need and struggling with issues related, financial or behavioral or, you know, it could be like you move to a new place. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have fencing. Right. So we do a lot of things to help families before they feel the need to surrender their pets. Oh, that's good, especially the behavioral aspect of things. Say someone has 
an old cat who's mm. starting to go to the bathroom where it shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I'm not a veterinarian, <laughs> but generally speaking, I would believe that that could be behavioral. But if you could give them some tips on how to deal with that, instead of them getting rid of their pet, they're going to continue to make the best life for their pet in their home if they just know what to do. Is that right? Exactly. Well, I'll give you an example. So yeah. we have what's called a pet support center, um, and it's part of our Keeping Families Together project. And last year, we had roughly 10,000 people call in with concerns. They're thinking that, you know, because of behavioral or medical or whatever, they might have to surrender their, their beloved animal. Right. And in those cases, we provide them resources as best we can, or we give them direction to training or different things like that. And we're able to help about 50% of them. Good. Um, and those are, that's 5,000 families that got to keep their right. pet at home instead of having them come to the shelter. Right. Yeah. And not only families, but those people where their pet is the only member of their family. Well, true. So yes. it truly is detrimental when yeah. they are having that, uh, their only companion <laughs> need, well, having some issues. So that's amazing. Yeah. Those are some of our best feel good stories. I bet. Yeah. I bet. I'm sure you can tell us many, many more. But I want to talk about, you mentioned volunteers. Do you want to talk more about how people can help? Well, there's so many ways that people can help. Obviously, we have a very active volunteer crew at PAC. Um, the large number, there's a lot of ways to volunteer, but the biggest biggest way is uh, to become a dog walker. Okay. Uh, we always have an incredible need for that. There's some training that goes into it. Um, and so, so people who really love being around animals um, and, and would love that experience, it's yeah. a great way to do it. There's many other ways to volunteer. Um, we have community outreach events where we help distribute food and supplies mm. to you know, pet only families in need. Uh, there's fostering, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually, we have one of the most robust fostering programs in the country. It's really one of the cornerstones of our success um, because he, even while animals are without a family, a permanent mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. uh, we'd rather have them be in homes than once again be in a, you know, what a, an eight by a 10 kennel, right? For sure. And so fostering, and uh, there's all sorts of different ways people can connect. You can actually just go to the Pima County uh, website, uh, click on PAC, and, and there's the, right there you know, how to volunteer. Okay, and yeah. with the volunteering, is there a minimum requirement, or how does that work as far as, say, someone just has maybe you know a couple hours a week or whatever? Do you have a preference of how much they volunteer? Well, there really isn't a minimum per se. Uh, there's some training that goes into it, okay. um, especially to do the animal handling volunteers. Sure. So it only makes sense for someone to, to go through the training if they really plan to do it, mm -hmm. you know, a certain number of hours per week. Um, we do have some one-off things that, we, you know, people can come in and do a couple hours here or there. Uh, those are a little, a little harder. They, it's, our real need is the ongoing um, because our goal is to get every, like especially dogs, to get every dog out of their kennel for a walk once a day. Right. And your goal is to get them out for 30 to, to uh, 40, if preferably an hour, okay. if you can pull it off. Well, right now, if you look at, we have 515 dogs. You can wow. do the math, and it takes a lot of volunteer hours, you know, to even be able to try to attempt that. Wow. Yeah. And I assume they're walking them right around the pack area. Oh, yeah. We have an amazing spot. We're right next to uh, uh, Columbus, Columbus Park. Uh -huh, yeah, sure. so there's the lake right there. I uh -huh. mean, you know what? If you're if you're going to be a homeless dog, it's a pretty good scenario. <laughs> At least you get some pretty good walks, right? Exactly. And I bet they love it when the people 
the little subculture of people who do the motorized boats on the lake. Does that still happen? I remember walking by I, once. And I've seen it. People. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't affect it, but it doesn't affect the dogs so much. But I know that, like, you know, there's plenty of wildlife out there that keeps the dogs interested, too. Right. You did mention foster parents. What do you look for in a foster? What kind of commitment is that? Well, the reality is, is I laugh about it because I call it all, all the fun with none of the commitment. Um, but, it's like being a grandparent. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> the thing is, you just have to love animals. You do have to have a good space for them. Okay. I mean, there clearly is that. There's all different levels of fostering. Mm-hmm. There's just, you can foster, foster uh, any of our animals. Um, there's specialized levels, which could be as much like hospice, or it could be you know medical, which are a little bit more detailed. Okay. Um, and so because you know, you're people, administering exactly, you might be administering mm, meds, changing right. bandages, sure. all those sort of things. So people have to be prepared for that. Mm. We also have a relatively new program uh, which we call safe sa- uh, safety net fostering, um, which is really amazing. It's actually intended to help people going through a short-term, like crisis situations. It could um, be hospitalization. Right. It could be domestic violence and transition. It could be a lot of different things. Uh, And we don't want them to have to give up their pets if they don't want to. So we have a scenario where we can put them in foster homes. And then we reunite them. Usually it's about anywhere from a 60 to 90-day period. And then we'll we'll be able to reunite uh, with the families. It's really interesting. I find a mix of people um, because some people will want to foster, but they don't know if they could do that one because they know it's going to be so hard. So hard. To get you know back, to to give the, give the animal back when it's all said and done, right. but but there's some people that also like that they like knowing that it's just for a set uh-huh. set period of time. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and probably not the economical commitment as if it were your own pet where you have to exactly pay for things as the animal ages. Or yeah. Whatnot. Well, and the other side of fostering though is realistically there isn't uh, any sort of financial commitment to it. I mean, we can provide we'll provide the food, we provide all the medical, we do all that. You know, some fosters just choose to do it because they can. But for those fosters who don't have the, you know, the, the financial ability to provide for that stuff, it's, we, we do. Right. We'll provide it. And is it only dogs and cats, or do you ever have, say, an iguana that needs a home or that sort of thing? Well, we get a mix of everything. We, okay. do, we have lizards. We have pocket pets. We have birds that come in. Um, uh, What's yeah, a pocket pet? It would be like a guinea pig, oh, hamster, oh, gotcha. rats. We have ra- rabbits. We get chickens that come in. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. We get a, It's interesting. We get a mix of everything. Um, <laughs> we, had, we had a huge thing of my, mice come in. We were adopting them out for a while. Um, now, we don't usually foster. Like, fostering usually would be for dogs and cats. Right, okay. Uh, but we do always have those other animals that come in. Uh, interesting. And sometimes, well, you just got to watch, watch the pack website because uh, especially if they have some of the unusual ones come in and we're doing a – Big, uh, big adoption activity around that. They'll, they'll put it out. We also have a, a working cat program, uh, which is for cats that aren't indoor or cats, but we have people that they've, you have a barn that you need oh, a sure. working cat for. Actually, one of my favorite favorite stories is uh, Voltron Brewing, which is just uh, outside the downtown area. They do brewing for a lot of, I mean, they think they do fire truck and a lot of other oh, ones. Oh, okay. Uh, but they actually have two pack cats or working cats in the brewery. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, talk about a talk about a good post uh, shelter life, right? right? I'm gonna go work in the brewery. Now that's so interesting because I have a friend whose neighbor is having a uh, mouse problem in their home, mm-hmm. and so I was saying, why don't you just you know have them rent a cat, sort of thing, as a joke, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Maybe they should reach out to you. And well, we don't have a rent a cat yet, <laughs> but maybe we should work on that. Yeah, I mean, seriously, a cat in their home for a week. 
yeah, problem solved. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so also talk about uh, the stray animals. What mm-hmm. how, what should people do when they come across stray animals, and what's your program programming set up for that? Well, it's interesting. A couple of different approaches. Obviously, you know, cats and dogs. How you approach the strays are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's interesting in our town is we have so many good intentioned animal loving people, mm-hmm. but in some of those circumstances, what you want to do is maybe a little bit counterintuitive to mm-hmm. what's the best practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to dogs, number one practice is to do everything we can to try to keep that dog in the community where it was found, okay, in the neighborhood where it's found. It turns out about sixty seven percent of dogs are lost mere blocks from mm-hmm. their home. Sure, if you take them out of their neighborhood, take them to a shelter. Um, there's a good chance, really, I, th- I can't remember the exact uh, percentage, but it's very high, decre- high, high decrease in the likelihood that they'll get reunited with their family. Oh, interesting. So the thing I would we, think people would reach out to you first. You would, th- you would think that, there. but it doesn't happen, that happen as much as you think, or yeah. there's so many other shelters. Um, you don't necessarily know which ones to reach out to sometimes. Um, so what we always recommend, if you find uh, find an animal, if you can keep it for a couple days in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, put up flyers, maybe put up Facebook posts, do next door, right. which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, more likely than not, you're, the owner's going to uh, present themselves True. if you put the word out and problem solved. And meanwhile, that dog's gotten to stay in a home instead of exactly. being in a shelter for right. those two Which or three days. Right, traumatizing exactly. it's not used to that environment. So sure. that's always the thing that we recommend. If that doesn't work, then obviously, you know, they can bring them to the shelter and we, then we do our best to rehome them. All right. Um, but once again, it's really interesting. We, uh, while we have this amazing shelter, our goal is to always keep animals out of it. Sure. It's the yeah. number one goal. With cats, especially with kittens, um, it's always a challenge during, uh, during kitten season. Um, Which especially is when? Uh, usually it's uh, early spring. Okay. Uh, but uh, usually what happens is, uh, especially with feral cats, people will find uh, litters of kittens, mm-hmm. and of course they're naturally concerned, mm-hmm. um, and they can't, you know, they don't see a mom around. Well, the mom's probably off hunting someplace. True. And the number one thing we want to do is not separate the kittens from the mom right. too early because that's uh, that's usually uh, has bad consequences for sure. the kittens. So uh, if people can actually, there's a whole guide to kind of like how to deal with it if you find a litter of kittens. On your website. On the I website, saw that. Yeah. It was a kind of a yes-no type. Exactly. And a little bit of how, yeah. it, how you know, what's, what they'll look like at certain ages. Exactly. One to two things. weeks, their eyes are shut yeah. and that sort yeah. of thing. How many pounds they are at a certain age and that sort of thing. Exactly. So so we always ask people to refer to those, those references because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we want to make sure that uh, in every circumstance, uh, we all want to make sure we're working in the best interest of the animal. Very good. If you are just now joining us, you're listening to Tucson Metro Chambers, the business of. I'm Heather Wolpern, and today's guest is Tori Chisholm, the executive director of Friends of Pima Animal Care Center, better known as PAC. So let's talk about that capacity meter on your website. As of this morning, at least, it was at extreme. How are those levels determined, and what are some factors that impact the change in the meter? Well, the number one measurement for the meter is kennel space. Okay. Um, so it's all measured off how many dogs in particular that we have to have in non-public viewing areas. Oh, okay. Because that means they're, they'll be on the website, but that means when someone wants to go to pack and they're walking through the kennels, if we have dogs that are in the back because we don't have enough kennel space in the front, that means they don't have a chance to get adopted, oh, right? right? 
right. So that's always, that's kind of what the meter is, is based off of. And there's different levels of things we do for promotion and, and, um, and to promote adoptions based on each different level. Right. Uh, we've been in extreme for a while. Um, what's a while? Uh, it's we're a year plus now. Oh yeah. Uh, that said, uh, you know, the community does continue every time it looks like it's about to get really bad. Um, the community steps up and helps us with a batch of adoptions or, or we get donations to, you know, help facilitate adoptions or whatever the case may be. So this community does continue to step up, but, mm -hmm. uh, we're, uh, we're well over 500 dogs in particular. And the challenge on the kennel space sometimes is, you know, um, not, it's not always just about the number of dogs. It's about like some dogs can't share kennels. Right. Um, and so that means that's one dog per kennel. Um, right. and. And so sometimes it's also about the type of dogs. And I will say, coming out of COVID, we did we were dealing initially with a lot of under-socialized uh, dogs oh, in particular, I bet. Right. Um, and also a lot of illnesses because people weren't leaving their house, so they weren't getting the vaccinations and oh. different things like that. So, so we kind of got hit with that right after COVID. Not as bad as some communities, um, but still, still it right. affected us. So we've really, in some regards, just been like we've working from that, and then just kind continue to move forward right um so uh that said well all we can do right now is we continue to put the word out um we have a, we have a, so many amazing dogs you just Aww. you just walk through there and like they're all they're all ready for new homes Aww. um we just need people to come and we need people to, to kind of realize oh hey things have settled down because that was the other thing with people too right there's so much uncertainty coming out of covid mm -hmm. you know they don't have uncertainty about job uncertainty about where i'm living sure. well now that things are starting to settle back down you know, we'll start seeing a point where you know people are like, you know what, I'm I'm ready again. Exactly. You know, I'm ready. I, I talk to people every day who maybe have had an animal who's passed away, maybe over the last year, but because of the uncertainty, they were still kind of on hold. Mm -hmm. But I, they're realizing they're realizing now that their life is better with those animal companions, and so they're starting to come back. And then you were talking about the number of dogs in the kennels for viewing, and mm -hmm. then the ones that you can't even see them because they're in the back. So how do you even? choose which ones are in the kennels is it just how long they've been there or what is that i actually don't know this i don't know how they uh, kind of mm. go through that process uh that probably does play into it right um uh so yeah but i can't really speak to that or i wonder if they do a certain number of puppies versus older dogs and that sort of thing just to have a fairness across the board yeah i don't know knows, I'll, right? I'll speculate i'll say this though you know the reality is with uh with puppies and smaller dogs mm -hmm. they uh, tend to get adopted out much faster oh, sure. you know i think the average stay for them is like three days oh, wow. uh, it tends to be the slightly larger dogs uh and a little bit older that are sometimes the harder ones to place and that's what we usually do a lot of different like kind of like promotions mm -hmm. around to try to help you know families you know see the value of taking those dogs home with them yes. uh, because once they do they're going to fall in love with them. Of course. I yeah. mean, th you're right. There is something to be said for the older dogs because they're already potty trained. They already are, you know, mellow. They're not jumping up on everything. Mm. They have some manners, hopefully. Yeah. And so you're you're getting a dog that already is a little more chill, potentially. Than, yeah. Because puppies are a lot of work. It is like having a newborn around sometimes. So they keep I, you up at night. And <laughs> I agree. You know, but it's so funny. It really is the challenge. Like people I know, I've, I've talked to so many people who come in and they want to adopt an older dog, but then they see a puppy. Oh. And they are they are so cute, right? Yeah. Maybe they so, could do one of each. Well, I like the, I like the way you think. So, yeah. <laughs> and is it true? Maybe you don't know this. And I don't know the fact of it. But 
to it's good for an older dog to have a younger dog because the younger dog keeps the older one a little bit more playful, and then the older one kind of teaches the younger one some manners. Is there any truth in that? You know, I'm not going to – I don't know if there is. I haven't ever read any studies <laughs> on that. I think it would be anecdotal. Right. Um, but there definitely is evidence uh, that for so many dogs, if if they are good with other dogs, they have mo- you know more than one dog in a household is, is definitely good. All right. That sounds yeah. good. And then tell us, you were saying how there are you know, so many stories about just – there's feel-good stories about people coming in or a pet truly changing someone's life. Do you have some to share? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really give all names and details. Sure, no, but, we'll I mean, I like some of the stories have really – I've been there two years now. And really some of the stories that have really uh, struck me um, – one of my favorite stories of all time is a, a, a dog that actually had gotten adopted out. He, I think he'd been at PAC for, for a few months. Uh-huh. Got adopted out, but unfortunately got away from his new people. Oh, and walked eight miles you hear all the way, that. all the way back to pack. How about that? And just showed up at the back door. It was just like sitting outside the back, with the back gates, just chilling, waiting for someone. How does that happen? I, I don't know. Like stories like that. But we, we at the time we did kind of joke as like it must be a pretty good shelter if a right, dog's going to walk eight go. miles to get right. back there. He's like, hey, I actually kind of liked it. There. Yeah. they treated me pretty well. <laughs> but I have to say, some of the stories are really uh, that. Are, uh, me the most are the ones around the whole keeping families together mm. effort, uh, which is a big part of what we fundraise for. That's what a lot of our fundraising is directed towards that that project. Um, and just the stories we get from people about, you know, they found out that their dog had an illness. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do. And you think about it, it used to be like, kind of like that two scenarios. You let your dog stay ill until it passes away. Right. If you can't afford the medical care, right? And right. I mean, right now there's a lot of people having to make hard choices sure. for financial purposes. Sure. Or they'd have to don't, you know, they'd have to basically go and surrender it to a shelter who they knew could give it the care. And that's why we felt like there's got to be that third part. And it was proven there's a study that was done by the ASPCA that found that about 88% of people don't want to give up their animals. They right. just feel like they have to. And so if they had a little bit of help, that they wouldn't. So that's what we're trying to do. And so the stories that we hear of people who got surprised, you know, surprise medical bills for their, right. you know, their animal, they couldn't handle it, but they come to us, they qualify for our help. We give them a little bit of money. They can do the rest on a GoFundMe. Okay. And usually the vets in town, are, they'll work with them too. They're really okay. great. So like that pool of people working together to help people and to help pets together is is amazing, and, and I I get the stories. I get the thank you cards, you know, where people Aww. are saying is like this this animal has been my life for the last ten years. I thought I was going to lose them, you know. What your support helped me keep them in my home, and I just can't thank you enough. So like, wow, like yeah, it feels great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so and that's the beauty of it is like what we do in in terms of the the support we raise is it's amazing for animals, and animals are the nexus of what we do. But at the end of the day. It's the effect that animals have on the people they right. live with, the mm-hmm. people who love them, the families, all that. You know, that really is also, that's the other part of what we do. It's not just helping the animals. It's helping helping so many people. Definitely. Yeah. And when uh, our daughters were little, we got a puppy because I, I said, in my opinion, I feel that every child should have a puppy yeah. as part of their childhood memories because the family unit part of it, but then just you know, learning how to, you know, love this creature and that the, everything that goes around it. So it really is an important aspect of, 
of childhood and family as long as you can afford it and well, you can make it work. Of every level, it's a important part of childhood. But even later in life, I mean, I, I deal with a lot of folks who are you know maybe senior citizens now, sure. and you know maybe they've they maybe they've lost lost their life partner, yeah, and now their companion is their is their pet, right, right, you know, or their companion animal, and so like it's all phases of life. It can play such an important role. Um, and there is a lot of evidence, uh, the scientific evidence now about the health benefits. Oh, good, right. Know, of having, it lowers of how, blood pressure. Yeah, and exactly. The companionship, you know, right. dealing with loneliness, that mm-hmm. gets you out of your house to exercise. Right. If you're going to the dog park, it creates more socialization. True, true. Yeah. You know, there's so many uh, positive mm-hmm. impacts of having an animal in your home. That's a really good point. You were mentioning some of your fundraising, but tell us also about any events that you have coming up that the community should know about. Well, I mean, our most, our soonest event that I, I like to share is we do that. We have an event that we do at Barrio Brewing. It's actually Barks and Brews at Barrio. Fun. It's a dog washing event. I've heard about that. Yeah, I so people can come down, uh-huh. and, you know, like it's a small donation, and we'll, yeah. we'll wash your dogs, stick so around, sweet. get a pint. It's nice, all that. But our biggest event, we started it last year, um, and now we're really dialed in for year two of our Pet Supima Parade. It's actually technically the Tucson Subaru Pet Supima Parade. Okay. Uh, we did it last year. We had about 900 participants, you know, with pets of all sizes That's and awesome. shapes and types. I mean, there was sheep, there was goats, there was chickens, oh. there was snakes. I mean, it was the whole deal. And it was all on Fourth Avenue. And it went off so well last year that uh, we decided to do it again. It's going to be February 11th. That's okay. a Saturday. It'll be on Fourth Avenue again. Plus, we're adding a whole uh, Four Legs on Fourth Festival afterwards, which will be live music and oh, vendors and in a kid's fun zone and the whole deal. So what we will have, I mean, it's going to be huge. And we're really excited that to announce this year, not only that, it's going to be televised. Ooh, yes. that's cool. So uh, we partnered with with Fox 11 and My18, and it'll be a, they're going to be recording oh, it. We'll have idea. broadcast team, and then we'll televise it. That's so, huge. So uh, we'll, I'll, information on it will be going out really heavily starting in October. Uh, yeah. But really want to encourage, if anybody loves animals, A, to be in the parade, to be in the parade, we ask people to help raise a little bit of money in support uh-huh. of homeless sure. animals. But it's well worth it. They could be in the parade. They can have floats in the parade. Or they can just if they just want to come down and watch, they can come down and see you know, thousands of animals. And what was the best thing about last year, it was all smiles right. all day. You just How couldn't could help it. Happy. Happy. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And did you say the date for the Barrio Brewing, the Barrio Brewing? Yes, it's going to be October 23rd. October 23rd. Okay, yes. great. And then... The parade is February 11th. 11th. Awesome. Yes. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up today? Uh, you know, I will just, this is going to be a shameless plug for the chamber because we're so happy to be a part <laughs> of the Chamber of Commerce. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been uh, great. I've been fortunate to be a part of the Ambassadors Thank Committee. Thank you for doing that. And I uh, really, really appreciate the work that your group and organization does to bring people together, you know, and to, to advocate for a better you know, Tucson. And uh, we're happy and, and proud to be a part of that. Thank you. You get it. That's so nice to hear. Because that's what we do. We really are trying to bring people together. So to yeah. hear someone say that, it's like, yes, yes, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business Of. To learn more about Friends of Pima Animal Care Center, visit friendsofpac.org. That's friendsofpac.org. And remember, September 23rd is the Copper Cactus Awards presented by Wells Fargo on September 23rd at the TCC. We'll have a fun Roaring Twenties theme and we'll be doing the Charleston as we celebrate the best small businesses in southern Arizona. 
And in case you didn't catch this episode from the beginning or would like to listen to it again, visit our website or search for Tucson Metro Chambers, The Business Of, on your favorite podcast app. Would you like to be my guest or sponsor an episode? Email me at thebusinessof at tucsonchamber.org. Thanks so much for listening. Have a fantastic day.